Hey, farmers and landowners, this is Damian Mason coming at you with a question. Have you ever had disease or pest problems cost you money by reducing your yield? Well, of course you have. We fight this, right? That's what production agriculture is all about, is working as best we can to put out a great yield, and to do so, oftentimes, you've got to overcome disease and pests. The problem is we usually treat those diseases and pests after the problem, right? So what if you could do it proactively? What if you had a tool that gave you predictive analytics so that you would know if you have things like corn rootworm, uh, soybean cyst nematode, sudden death syndrome? Well, you have that tool now. It's from Pattern Ag. Pattern Ag doing predictive soil analytics way beyond just the old days of sticking a probe in the ground every few acres and saying, hey, wow, we got some nitrogen deficiency here. They'll let you know if you have pests and disease. Go to pattern.ag. That's www.pattern.ag to learn more about this awesome technology and how it can help you increase your yields by taking care of diseases and pests before they cause you harm. Hey there, thanks for joining us on another fantastic episode of the Business of Agriculture. We've got a great program for you today because we're talking about Montana. It's not Yellowstone. All right. Um, I travel, as you well know, dear listener. I work at speaking engagements all over North America. And then somebody will say, oh, I heard you're in Montana. I've been watching Yellowstone. And I say, yeah, that's a cool show. And Kevin Costner is a good actor. And he drinks Coors Banquets, my favorite beer. But it's not really representative of the big sky country that I've worked in. So I've worked all around this fine state. I'll be going back there in November. And I'll be working for 406 Agronomy. 406 Agronomy is bringing me to one of their customer events. And I thought, you know what? You have a unique perspective on agriculture that I'd like to share with all my listeners being up there in the part of the world that a lot of folks don't even realize is more than just cattle and uh, and ski resorts and uh, TV shows uh, starring Kevin Costner. So I brought on Lance Lindblom. He is a lead agronomist for 406 Agronomy. If you're wondering how it got that clever name, 406 is the area code for the state of Montana. Um, I also got Justin Miller, a fifth generation farmer and rancher in Guilford, Montana. We're going to talk about Montana agriculture. We're going to talk about some of the unique things that they do, the perspective that they have for us. And you might learn something here about some of the challenges they face. All right, Lance, thanks for being here. What's 406 Agronomy? Well, a little bit of who, what, where, and when. So who we are with 406 Agronomy, um, what we are is we are agronomy coaching services. We'll dabble a little bit in the differences between coaching and just uh, handing out recommendations. Where we're located at, like you mentioned, we are in the big sky state of Montana. So we cover the majority of the state that doesn't have a ton of trees growing, you know, the, the big sky part of the state. And then when did we start? Um, probably gonna go back about eight years when 406 was, um, 406 started, we came underneath the modeling of the agri-trend, uh, Rob Syke and agri-trend model. Rob Syke started that in 1997, and the modeling of a coaching service uh, unrelated to, uh, to product sales. Rob Sykes, my buddy, a Canadian, a, a good Albertan uh, hillbilly like he is, uh, part-time Arizonan, um, and, uh, and, and he's been on this program a number of times for your listener. Justin Miller, Guilford, Montana. You've been there a while. Your family's been there a while. What do you do in Guilford, Montana? Yeah, so we uh, primarily raise uh, cereal crops and pulse crops and oils crops. All right, so the person that's listening to this that's in the cranberry business says, wait a minute, cereal crops, I get that. That's the stuff like wheat, oats, right? Hard, hard red winter wheat, hard amber durum, yep, and oats and barley, yep. All right, and then 
you said pulse to the person that's in a cranberry burn says, yeah, I've got a pulse. Uh, it's my heart rate. And most people don't have any idea what this is. Tell us what pulse crops are. So pulse crops are things like uh, peas and chickpeas and lentils, you know, in any crop that uh, fixes nitrogen. Okay. So they're a legume that is a human consumable legume and they'll end up probably in soups or where does these, because most people in America don't eat these things. Primarily. Yeah. And I think uh, pulse actually originated from the term uh, thick soup in Latin. So um, that, that's what they are. So chickpeas, edible peas, pulse crop, uh, pulse um, lentils, most of this stuff gets exported is my understanding, right? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're hoping for more and more domestic markets all the time, but, but primarily a lot of this stuff does get exported. And that's, that's the challenge is always uh, finding these little niche markets. Cause it's, it's not the markets that we're used to marketing our wheat and, and some of these other crops. So we're, we're always searching for, for the markets. Two kinds of wheat, oats, barley, lentils, peas, uh, what else? And we also do some oil seeds. So like flax and mustard. And in the past we've raised safflower and canola. Uh, we're also trying a new one called camelina. I've been, I've, I've talked about camelina on this very podcast for the person listening to this. It's an oil crop. It's similar to canola. Yes, that's correct. And, um, doesn't it have another application that people are excited about? It's going to, it's, it, it's planted in the fall. So it's, it's a cover type crop. Well, it's no, it's planted in the spring as of right now. They're hoping to do some research to get it planted in the fall as well. But um, it's it's a high oil content and they're using it for uh, jet fuel and diesel fuel and stuff like that. Got it. It's not a food crop. It's, it's an oil crop. Got it. Sustainable aviation fuel is a new thing. If you're listening to this and you're saying, what the hell is he talking about? Go back a few episodes. And I had a guy on from uh, S&P Global Commodity Insights, and his whole specialty is the fuel marketplace, particularly biofuels. And he spoke about sustainable aviation fuel using crops like camelina. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking we're putting you on, we're not. Go back and grab that episode from about uh, two to four weeks ago. Um, and uh, and you'll learn all about biofuels, particularly camelina. Um, did somebody approach you about that stuff? I know we're going to get back to Lance and I want to hear about the unique stuff, but this is fascinating to me. And I know the listeners like this. Did someone come to you and say, Hey, try this. Is it a contractual thing? Because you can grow a lot of stuff in agriculture, but if there ain't no infrastructure or marketplace, where do you go with it? Where do you go with Camelina? Absolutely. So the Camelina um, all heads down to uh, California where it gets processed there. And Exxon really is the, is the big player behind the, that whole market. So you mean that evil oil company that's charging us $5 a gallon for gas is actually a customer of agriculture? That, that's right. And, and they're actually doing some pretty amazing things, uh, uh, trying, to, trying to bring this stuff to market. So we're, we're excited about it. Got it. Also, you said you grudgingly use the word rancher because really that's your old man that's uh, the cow guy. You're not a cowboy? I am not a cowboy. Guilty by association. Okay. So there are cattle running around somewhere on the Miller Ranch, but you're not in charge of them? That's correct. Got it. <laughs> I will be someday, probably. Got it. And uh, you, you know, you're you've got a lot of acres. You got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, how many acres do you cover on agro on, on farming, not ranching? Oh, enough enough to keep me busy, but not enough to keep me out of trouble. What about the irrigation? <laughs> Is any of it irrigated? None of it's irrigated. We we have about twenty thousand acres total. And and it's all dry land. 
it's all dry land. Do you have to leave any of that sit for a year to gain moisture as we used to do in fallow or are cropping systems different and, and better now? I assume they are. So the cropping systems are different. We used to fallow half of it. And right now we're following about one third of it. And so our rotation is typically a pulse and then a cereal and then fallow. Got it. What do you do, Lance, for people like Justin? You know what? You said agronomic coaching. Wait a minute. I'm thinking like, hey, hey, be good to your soil. Give me a cheer. What the hell is agronomic coaching? Well, like Justin was describing, they've got a lot of things going on with the different crops. So each one of them is unique, the fit on how they work and the rotation. So it's not just the rotation you're talking about. Also, crop protection rotation, where that's at, where it is in the marketing, where we are in, in the moisture. So we grow um, all of those crops fairly well in Montana, considering how dry we are. And um, But we do have the challenges of being a very low moisture environment and also a short growing season if we did not have the short growing season we wouldn't have much growing here we have to have that with a short season with how low our moisture really is so matching the crops you know what what fit in that rotation uh, that's that's probably our biggest challenge and then matching nutrients and, and crop protection with it a lot of people, again, that they think Montana is what happens on the show Yellowstone. There's an agricultural area and, you know, Montana's a huge state. I'm in Indiana and, you know, we're an I state. We grow a lot of crops here, but we're like one third or smaller than Montana. We're like one third of the size of Montana, maybe a little less than that. How much of Montana's agricultural lands is, I mean, and not agriculture, how much of it is crops, not cattle and sheep? How much is about one fifth of the state is really good ag stuff? Yeah, I would probably as close to one fifth. But Justin, do you know those numbers? I, I don't know the numbers, but I guess it'd be even more than that. And when it Maybe comes more, to it, dollars, it, it, I mean, yeah. egg, egg is, is king. I mean, it's the number one industry we have. Sure. And it's not in the West. Like the, the, when people say, oh, I've been to Bozeman, that's not really where we're doing this stuff. We're doing it like a six hours drive, which to you people, six hours drive is like me going to uh, the airport 20 miles from here. I mean, you guys, but the agricultural part is East and central, right? And North. That's more like about uh, what three quarters of the state. If you look at the, on the map on it, three quarters, about three quarters of the state is plains and prairie. Yeah. So high. So, and yeah. then, and then where you farm, Justin, what do you get in the way of precipitation? Do you get about 12 inches converting snow and everything? 14 inches. The annual is 11 and we're in a, we're in an extreme drought right now. And we're kind of a relatively small area. Most of the state's in pretty good shape, but we only had four inches last year. And up until June 1st this year, we only had two tenths. And so we're at, we've had two inches in the month of June. So I'm sitting at six inches in the last year and a half right now. So we are extremely dry. Yeah. And we were here until July 4th. We've gotten uh, rain here. We were, I was really concerned about what was happening. Um, I, I shot a video and put it all over social media. Uh, the people that oppose GMOs and genetically manipulating plants. I'm like, you'd be damn happy that's happening because this corn wouldn't be standing if it was 50 years ago, because we had 94 degrees and 25 mile an hour winds the whole month of June <laughs> with no rain. What about the genetics that you're putting out there? You're still going to get a crop and, and your, your wheat's still going to make it and, and your, your other crops are going to make it? 
You know, we're, we're going to get a crop, but just barely. I mean, we're going to be looking at 15 bushels the acre, maybe 20 on a lot of this stuff. And so it, it's, it is poor, but with the markets the way they are, I mean, we'll count that as a blessing, I guess. So, so you're talking about those, those wheat numbers you just gave me? Yeah, but they're, they're pretty solid across the board. You know, I think our, our peas and stuff like that will be in, in the twenties or low twenties and the wheat will be in the 15 to, to 20 area, but you don't have to go too far from here. I mean, you go 20 miles South or 30 miles South and then the state gets substantially better. You know, we're kind of in a swath that's maybe, oh, a hundred miles wide by 20 miles deep up to the Canadian border. That's just in really rough shape. I mean, this year. This year, yeah. Yes. So uh, when you, um, Lance, help somebody like him, you can't change the weather. What can you help him do to be profitable this year? A little bit deciding you know, what they can do on their cropping rotation. You know, what can we do? You know, one of the crops that we, you know, we were more supporting on the lower um, moisture was you know, like lentils. What crops can we use in a low uh, moisture environment? And uh, yeah, and, and it's unfortunately, it's not just this year. It's been... Uh, we've had two, even the three years ago, our moisture, it, it's been slowly declining. So we're at kind of that, the, the deepest part where we just don't have any soil moisture down deep. So this is, this is kind of where the, the epicenter this year. And it is, a, like Justin says, a really pretty good swath up here on the northern part of the, the Golden Triangle. And, but we kind of, if you can get spots in down on the, the south uh, western part of the Golden Triangle, they're in the same boat too. So there's some some big areas that really took a hit this year on moisture. Absolutely. And so the the diversity of cropping, but also the advancement of the genetics is helping us get a crop, whereas we wouldn't have done that. I was on Cheddar News yesterday and they um, lean a certain way politically. So they, I think they said the word climate crisis about a dozen times. And I finally, I said, yeah, you mean, cause we never had a dry year like we're having in the Western Plains. So we never had this. <laughs> and, I'm, and if you're listening to this, I'm holding up and these guys are laughing a picture of the Dust Bowl. The entire 1930s, particularly from about 1936 to 39, I think was the, the worst of those years where it essentially didn't rain. Is the weather that markedly different, Justin, at uh, Miller Ranch than it has been for the five generations, uh, the four generations preceding you? You know, I, I don't know how to answer that. I mean, it is definitely changing to some degree. I mean, there's different patterns that change, but um, change is the only constant around here. And so um, we just know that there's going to be there's going to be years when it's wet again. So we're not we're not too worried about it. So we're going to have to just weather this storm and, and keep going. So. All right. So you said when was 406 agronomy started, Lance? Uh, about eight years ago. All right. Tell me what's evolved. You've been in Montana ag your whole career? Partially. So I'm in Nebraska. It's been about 10 years, a sabbatical in Nebraska there, north central Nebraska. Okay. Well, so you've been around a little bit. What's different yeah. about Montana ag now than it was when you were uh, starting your career? I think in, in some areas, we've seen a lot more growth in our rotations and uh, in our crops. You know, it's for, and for good reasons. For years, we had wheat chem follow, wheat chem follow, kind of storing up that moisture. We were using summer follow. That was, you know, the main tool to be able to, to, to save that soil moisture. So probably the biggest change I've seen is just the amount of different crops that we are growing here now and we can grow here now. Without using irrigation, 
can't we still get better at this where eventually Justin doesn't need to leave anything fallow? Because the truth is if he's got something out there and it's doing his job, can it not just hold moisture? Is that what doesn't the future look like? We don't do fallow acres anymore. Isn't that going to look like old, old technology? Well, this year put a big curve in that because we were so dry uh, on a, a normal average year. I would say on many, many acres, you're correct. We could probably go more, um, like Justin was talking, you know, it may be a, a follow, not, you know, maybe not be 50, 50, it may be a, a third or smaller number, uh, smaller percentage of follow on that rotation. Ideally. Yes, we have, we do have producers that are 100%, um, continuous crop too. Right. Farmers in your geography are making more money now than they used to, cause they're getting more utilization of the acres. And then this whole pulse P lentil thing that didn't exist 20 years ago. Am I right? It was there, but at a different level, right, Justin? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, before, you know, 20 years ago, I think we started to dabble in it and we were the only ones. And and now every single one of my neighbors has a significant amount of, of these crops in their rotation. So are these the guys that they judge you and complain about you and then they copy you? Those are probably the ones. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you are making more money per acre than say your father did, right? Yeah. Probably. Has that been reflected in the cost of the acres? You know, if I go down the road here in Indiana, I know what these acres are going to sell for. Is that going to happen if I come to Montana? Is farm ground up 30% in the last 18 months? Probably not in the last 18 months, but it, it has been uh, climbing pretty rapidly. You know, it's not anywhere like where you guys are at out there, but, but uh, prices are increasing and have been increasing in the last 10 years. Sure. Uh, what do you see when you look at the evolution of Montana agriculture, um, besides the fact that there's less following and then these new crops or anything else that's changed? Oh, I, you know, the, the new crops is, is the big one for us. And, and I think we're going to keep seeing more and more different crops coming down, down the line. You know, the big thing for us is, is soil health, just like everywhere. And so, we, we think that diversifying these crops does help with our, with our soil health and we're going to continue to do stuff like that. So uh, let's go back in time. You know, I wrote my book, Food Fear, about the past, present and future of, of agriculture. And um, I, I like the history of what's happened in this uh, country in terms of the, the world's most important industry. You were a farmer back in the 1800s. You went out and you, you got a plot of ground in Nebraska uh, for free, probably if you homestead it, whatever. Uh, you bought it off the railroad, rubber barons. Um, you didn't know much about it, but you knew what you learned growing up. And then uh, somewhere in the 1800s, we started the land grant school system. And then we invented the uh, extension program where the idea was the extension agent came out and extended the learning from the land grant university. Um, yield started growing. Uh, we started doing better research. Companies got really good at it. 1930s, yields start going crazy we get really good at production agriculture. This has all happened in the last 80, 90 years, right? You didn't have 406 agronomy back then. You had your neighbor, you had your dad, you then got the extension agents. They kind of frankly have outlived their necessity in this day and age because it's a different time and place. Now you got 406 agronomy. You tell me, Justin, you're a customer of theirs. It's way different than it used to be, right? I just painted a picture. What do they do for you? Uh, absolutely. So they they make all of my agronomy decisions for me, or, or help me make all my agronomy decisions. I mean, I I used to 
maybe do a little soil sampling and I would, I would make a blanket prescription for the whole farm. Right. And, and now when, when they, they come out, they just handle all that. There's so much data to, to control and to manage that, that I really do rely on them. What did your, what did your father do? And what did your grandfather do? The system I just talked about, maybe somebody came out from the extension agency and says, you know what? We've been thinking about you should plant you should plant some some trees to keep this from happening. They didn't know what that, they didn't know what we know now, right? That's absolutely the way it happened. You know, um, I remember an extension agent coming out and talking to my grandpa, and that's exactly what happened. We ended up with all these rows of trees, and and uh, now we're actually to the point where we don't have that type of erosion, and I'm I'm in, removing some of those trees just to make it easier to 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 farm. And some of them have passed away, right? Yeah, right. What about ag- you're an evil you're an evil cutter downer of trees? What about uh, agronomics that we used to do even 50 years ago, Lance? That you know you you've been in this. I'm guessing you're about my age. You're somewhere in your early 50s, right? Correct. So you've got a 30 year career going. Agronomically, just 30 years ago, we didn't have what we have now. We didn't do what we do now. Isn't it remarkable to you the the technology, the data, everything? Yes, for sure. Especially, you know, all of it, you know, the analytics, how much more in depth we're on analytics, how much more soil sampling we really push hard on like tissue, a little bit of resin testing, but tissue testing too, to kind of, kind of just build that analytical, but also the, the technology behind there, you know, that the technology doesn't replace boots on the ground. It just helps us refine where we place those boots. So like Justin was saying, you know, Precision has all kinds of different levels. You know, precision may start out with I'm farming part of my farm different. I may be taking, you know, this part of the farm and my nutrient levels are different or my nutrient rates are different than another part. We're moving more towards subfields inside of fields. So zone management, you know, you can see where that technology and that data, how much we're churning right now, we're not that far off. We're going to even be more refined. You know, we'll be down to maybe it's, um, uh, maybe row openers or something. We're not quite that there yet in our um, topography, our geography, but it's coming. Yeah. I want to dig more into that. The very thing right there about the, the subfield, et cetera. Before I do, I want to remind our listeners, if you like this kind of conversation and discussion about what's happening on America's uh, more forward thinking, success minded farms, check out the work I'm doing over at extreme ag. Extreme ag was founded by five, forward-thinking farmers uh, throughout North America who uh, now have other affiliates doing trials, product trials, new practices, and we have really cool information insights uh, in the Cutting the Curve podcast. Go and check out extremeag.farm. That's no E on the front of it, just the extremeag.farm. Go check that stuff out. I've recorded over 100 videos for them, so you're going to love that stuff if you like this kind of talk. Um, Geographically, but also... um, technologically. Lance just talked about something that your dad and grandpa didn't do and we didn't do, but we're doing it better now. I can look at a map of a farm between the data from my combine and then my phone and then the stuff that 406 agronomy, it's frankly can be overwhelming. That's why you said you're the business guy, you're the farm guy, but the agronomics, them, right? Absolutely. 100%. You know, um, we used to just, we used to feed the whole crop in, in one sitting before you know, when my, when my grandpa and my dad did it. Now we, now we spoon feed this thing as, as it needs it. So, yeah. it's just yeah, a lot so more the, 
the idea is um, you're going to spend about the same amount. You might spend a little bit more, but you're dosing it. You're, you're dosing it as opposed to dumping it, right? That's correct. What about on a year like this when it's dry? You've mentioned the weather a number of times already. Are you going to cut back your spend? Are you going to say we're not going to spend as much? We're going to spend less? Or we're going to spend the same amount? We're spending Absolutely. Less? We're spending way less. In fact, this year I haven't even other than a little starter fertilizer that I put with the, the crop when I seeded it, it hasn't received anything because it hasn't warranted. So luckily for me, I guess I'm sitting on a, on a mountain of fertilizer I'll be able to use for next year. Yeah. Well, the good news is you paid peak prices for it. So it'll only go down in value. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. yeah well, well, luckily I bought it last year. So um, answer me this stress mitigation products. My guys over extreme ag talk a lot about this. Is, uh, is there anything that prescription Lance, does Justin put something out there that can make that plant perform better under such stress of heat and drought? One of the things for our environment, and we've been um, preaching this for oh, probably the last four or five years is to really watch where we're at on our boron, um, but micronutrient boron, it's mobile in the soil is very essential for us during that flowering. It does a lot of things, different things, but in the flowering process, having that to help control heat blast is essential. So it is one of those, it was actually, I think Justin may have been one, one of them we did one of the first uh, foliar, uh, I think Jared, your brother, his brother did a couple passes out there, just went out there when it was flowering, did two passes, and then we went out and didn't counts on it and you could pick it up in the combine. So. Um, yeah, that would be a big one for us, Damien, in our area is, is boron during for, for heat blast. We've talked about boron with the extreme ag guys, and I got to confess, until I joined up and started helping them, I didn't realize how essential boron was. And I can promise you that me as a kid out working on the farm 30 years ago, 35 years ago, um, we never talked about boron, right? This, this is new in the last decade, isn't it? No, no nobody did. My, my dad or my grandpa, they're like, what, what the heck are you doing? It's not nitrogen or it's not FOSS. Like, this doesn't make sense. Right. <laughs> There's lots out there. It was one of them that really, really showed up when we were pushing hard on tissues. Tissue samples were showing that, man, we're low, we're low, we're low, we're low. When we tissue sample, we try to do it three times during the growing season at the same spot. So kind of get a, a snapshot of where that plant is at different phases during its, its growth. And we were seeing that boron was one that was where we were having issues with. There's going to be somebody listening and, and I, you'd be tempted to think this. Um, and I'll, I'll just kind of think for both of you, it's more of a thought than a direct question. Um, like, oh, you hire 406 agronomy, Justin, must mean that you're dumb and you just uh, you just sit back and, and, you know, play games on your computer all day. And I'd say, I think what I'm observing, you are smarter about agronomics than maybe your grandfather was and because of that you seek help because like I, i'm better at forestry management since i hired a forestry consultant you know what i mean like i got better at it because of him teaching me and me being out there with him is, are you finding that absolutely the amount of help they give us is, is huge i mean it's important for us to have those guys it's the same way with marketing right like i actually hire some guys to help me with marketing i mean we do the same. We, we go to the experts anymore for, for everything that we do. And so right. when it comes to the agronomy, we, we have to have, I feel like it pays to have somebody helping us. Lance, are your customers, uh, 406 Agronomy customers, ranchers, farmers, 
Are they smarter about agronomics than they were when you started your career? Even though they hire you, are they smarter about it? Because my impression is yes. Most definitely. And um, probably the best illustration, I want to go back what you asked about all the things that uh, what Justin was talking about. Um, an illustration that uh, Terry Aberhart, he's a agronomy coach in, in our network that we work with out of Canada. He was sitting at the airport one day and he drew up this flow chart. He's an agronomy coach, but he's also there. Their family is a farmer. They're a farm too. And he drew out all the interactions that that farm was dealing with. HR, equipment, payroll, agronomy, uh, marketing. I mean, the, the list is just phenomenal how many things are going on. And it, it illustrated that what we're doing is we're taking a piece of that agronomy and, and assisting on that piece and helping to make the decisions uh, more, you know, more, more rounded in um, what we're learning on the, 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 the analytics part and the, the art of it, but also making those decisions um, quicker for them. So it's more assisting on a part. And, and when you look at a, a farmer like Justin, he's the CEO and he's got a ton of things going on in that farm and agronomy is one part of it. Yeah. And I think the success oriented farm operator needs to be a CEO. Some of them don't, they want to drive a tractor and like, okay, somebody better be the business person. You want to be the, you want to be the guy climbing around in green bins or whatever. That's cool. Do that. But if you let the other thing go away, your neighbor's going to own your farm and you'll be driving a tractor for him. That's my assessment. What do you think, Justin? There's a reason why we've been at it for 115 years because we've we've learned how to adapt and and to, you know, accept the best practices. So Uh, changes from your unique perspective, Lance, Uh, like I said, you you spent a decade down in Nebraska. You've been around this your whole career. What are you seeing that is different than just a few years ago? Um. There's a bunch of things. Um, probably the biggest one that we see that's most visible is, is the amount of technology, the data that's being crunched right now and the equipment. So that would be a big change from quite a few years ago. Um, for our environment, what we see here in, in Montana, our environment, like we talked about before, is, is a change in different um, different crops that we are growing and the amounts they are. Um, large scale, I, I think that you look at our customer, the, the consumer, it seems like that there has been one of our biggest challenges for them to understand exactly what we're doing. They're so far removed from agriculture. And we see this, I have a, uh, my youngest child is working in Yellowstone and she just can't quite understand why tourists can't stay away from Buffalo. And I keep <laughs> reminding her that they've never been around that. And that's what we, you know, a lot of uh, our, our consumers, you know, they have, they've been removed from agriculture for a long time. So they just don't understand what's going out here. And the information I think that they get sometimes may be a little bit skewed. I would say so. Uh, like I said, I was just on Cheddar News yesterday, which is mostly an online uh, news service. And uh, and they ask questions that um, I'm like, what? So I do think there's a number of consumers, though, that, that want to want to know more. And so yeah, yes. there's, there's agree. a change there that we're starting to, to see because – I mean, people come up to me and, and ask me questions that, that they never did 15, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, so. that's a good thing. And, you know, like I said, I, I'm more than willing. I think in agriculture, and I've shot episodes about this, yeah, educate the consumer. I'm like, well, what if the consumer doesn't want to be educated? What if they don't give a damn? And I always use the example, everybody in, on this call right now has a smartphone. Do you know how your smartphone works? Do you know where it was made? Do you know how it was made? Do you know who made it? You don't. Do you care? 
Not really, because you know what your smartphone does? It works every day. It makes your life easier. It makes it so that Lance can come to your farm, pull up some stuff, show you some stuff, send you some data. It makes your life and business easier and more productive. That's our food. That's what our, that's what agriculture is, right? I always say that. I'm like, the ones that care, yeah. And sometimes it's because they've heard misinformation. I like that. But in large part, we running around saying, we're going to educate. We're going to educate. You're like, I just want to eat my groceries and, and go to bed. You know what I mean? So I think we get that wrong sometimes. Um, as far as the, uh, the education of the consumer and the interest in what you do, um, for all the people, since we're saying Montana Ag is not Yellowstone, um, the Californians invade your state. And when I think I was in Montana, I said, welcome to Montana. And they'll go back to California. I think I saw it on a t-shirt once. Tell me what's happening. You're part of the world. That's not, that's mostly Bozeman, right? It is. Or Bo- Bo- Angeles as we like to refer it to. It's what? Yes. It's, it's Bozeman Angeles now is what we're calling it. I guess. Bo- 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 Angeles. <laughs> uh, you know, there, there definitely is a shift in, in population. And I think COVID is, is part of that. And so some of the, Real Montanans are, you know, in the in the Bozeman area or in the Flathead Valley, you know, they're they're going to start moving out into some of these rural communities a little bit more. You know, some of the, some of the nicer communities or smaller communities in in the state, and and we're just going to see a shift in, in the growth. And there's going to be more and more people's. I mean, I, hopefully, there's more and more people um, involved with agriculture in the future. Lance, what gets you excited? Uh, and when you look out at this landscape, what, what, are, what are you excited about for the industry and particularly from your perspective there in Montana? Uh, in Montana, I am I, I definitely excited about what we can grow, uh, that opportunity to, to add more oil seeds. Uh, like Justin, they talked a little bit about the Camelina coming in here. We yep. just have we have a, a harsh environment. We have an environment that we can grow quite a few different crops. So, you know, producers moving towards different types of crops. I'm excited about seeing, you know, long-term what that's going to do for our, you know, the soil health and our rotations. Um, that's really cool. Probably the other thing uh, is biologicals, what we're seeing in the movement of biologicals, what we're seeing on the, the science behind that. I think that's really cool. So we can. Yeah, we I, can I do too. That. And don't you remember a time, let's go to biologicals in particular. Um, I think a guy was driving a truck down the parade route and uh, the Huntington Heritage Days parade when I was a kid and something about a biological thing. I said, Dad, what's that? And he said, snake oil. That was, that was the perspective, perception of this stuff. Tell me what your thought is, because we've come full tilt. And I think we did we did genetics. We did mechanization, you know, as Rob Syke, our buddy, talks about the, uh, you know, the fifth iteration of agriculture. It was it was man with a hoe and then it was a horse and then it was a tractor and then it was genetics and then it was in chemistry. I think biology is the next iteration. Yeah, Lance. I would agree. And you know, what we're seeing on some of these, the, the biologicals coming out, we're seeing some really, really good science behind it, some really good testing. Some of this is old, though. Some of these bugs have been around for quite a few years. We just, it hasn't been popular to use. So a little bit with higher prices on fertility, that helps you expand on what you're looking at. And just, just long-term, you know, how can we, like we know in our area, we're low on phosphorus. How do we get that up? How do we how do we address that you know long term and different strategies, different pieces instead of all of it down on a dry fertility? Can we add a part of that um, uh, as a different way as a biological? So yeah, definitely cool what we're seeing there. When where it's going? Biologicals, Justin. Yeah, so so we haven't used many of them lately, but um, we're gonna we're gonna start uh, 
we're going to start in the game even just next year. I think we're, we've been talking about it, and we, we think that we think of the future as well. So we're uh, we're just getting started. So we're kind of in the same boat as everybody else. I I've got a lot of hope though that they're going to help us do some things and and be able to use less fertilizers, and I, I think they're going to be a benefit to the farm. Yeah, I think that that's the exciting part to me. Uh, we already make more calories with less natural resources per calorie than we ever have. And I think we're only going to get better at that. Uh, last thing, anything that we didn't cover, Lance, by the way, uh, anything that we didn't cover, because we've covered a lot of ground here, Montana agriculture, your perspective, something we didn't cover. Well, yeah, you yeah, asked on what I'm excited about. So I got to throw it in there too. It's the technology. I'm a techie, even though I'm an old dude. Uh, my dad worked for IBM for his whole career. So I've been around computers and stuff. I it aged me too much, but I think I had a computer in the late seventies. So I like the technology. I like seeing where we're going in technology, where it's in, in our environment is becoming more, um, where it's priced where we can use it, whether it's the high resolution that we're seeing and uh, satellite imagery autonomous that we're probably, uh, you know, we're in this generation going to be seeing that there's lots of cool things in um, technology. Just want to throw it out there. Yeah, not- and, and it gets better and it gets cheaper. It's right. better. It gets cheaper. It gets easier to use. Um, what we can do with, on an app now. Yeah, exactly. This is the calculator. If you're watching, you see it. But if you're listening, I'm holding up the calculator that was given to me when I graduated from high school because I was getting ready to go to Purdue. It's still on my desk. Um, and, and I think this is probably like a $60 calculator in 1988, maybe a $100 calculator in 1988. And uh, that's why I can't throw it away. But you know what? You have one on your phone right now and <laughs> it's, it's a free app, right? Yeah. Where, where would we be without, you know, Google Maps, you know, anymore? You just plug it in. And yeah. So the technology is becoming so much more um, plug and play. Uh, a lot of the where would we be without Google Maps, I would tell you, Lance, you'll be in the middle of nowhere. But literally, Justin already is in the middle of nowhere <laughs> out there in Guilford, Montana. I found it. Yeah. So, <laughs> Last word, Justin. I'm super excited about this technology too. I mean, you know, just in the, in the near future, it looks like we're going to be able to put some technology into our sprayer where um, the sprayer is just going to spray the weeds and nothing else, which is, is pretty amazing to me. I mean, yeah, we, 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 we every we, year and there's just so many efficiencies that are coming. We put, up. We, we put a, we put a chemical treatment on, all 43,560 square feet of that acre. Imagine if you're putting on 4,000 square feet, because that's where the weeds are of that acre. And then the cost savings, the benefits, the environment, et cetera, et cetera. I, I agree with that. Drones, do you use drones? Uh, Lance, you use drone technology yet at 406? Love drones. Um, we do use it for a scouting and more for you know social media and promotion, but a lot of on scouting, especially on pulse crops, uh, watching it very closely. We have four. What of if us. like it's it's a, what if it's one of these hot dry summers? And let's say Justin's neighbor um, girl is home from college and she's in a bikini laying out by the pool. Does that field get scouted more thoroughly than the field where there's not a 21 year old girl in a bikini? No comment. <laughs> but the, the technology on drones uh, we have quite a few of them and we have uh four we went through the part 107 so we have you know, licensed drone pilots and uh we just see that i see that probably moving when we're we can legally fly swarms of them to cover our large acres where a guy could one pilot could fly three or five drones and cover a big area so there, there's a lot going on in that area that's getting more economical. It's not quite there for us yet on mapping and things, but it's, it's getting awful close. Awesome. Uh, 
I think we're going to leave it there, but I want Justin as the farm guy, anything else that you need to contribute here from, uh, from the Miller ranch? No, you know, I think we're, we're excited about the future though. So, I mean, it, it looks bleak this year, but, uh, we're just going to keep at it. And, and there's a lot of exciting things coming down the pipeline. So you're the prototypical farmer, you're an eternal optimist. If anybody <laughs> wants to learn more about this, do you have, uh, are you present on social media? Do you have some way to find you? Does your ranch have a website? Um, the, the cattle operation does Miller Simmental's, um, but the farm itself does not as of right now. Miller Simmental's. And you know, what's interesting about Simmental's, they used to be the same color as Guernsey's, but now they're all black because if you want to sell beef for a premium, it has to be black. So they're all black, aren't they? Black or red. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Lance, if anybody wants to learn more about what you're doing, the cool stuff there at 406 Agronomy, what do they do? Look up 406 Agronomy. 406 Instagram, we do have a website, but if you really want to see what we're doing, it's social media. We're on everything. Um, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Oh, God. TikTok. God, go on TikTok. So I actually am I'm in charge of TikTok. So we, uh, yeah. And if you're listening to this or watching this, I will be the speaker at their conference. That is the 406 Agronomy Conference. And I think the public, uh, the customers are invited. Am I right, Lance? All your customers are coming to this thing, right? So yeah. my buddy Justin's going to be there. Uh, Everybody's invited to it. So it's open to the public. There you go. That's November 29th, is it not? Correct. November 29th. In what town? Haver, Montana. We're going to be at the campus of MSU Northern. I forgot. It's actually November 28th. That's November 28th. I was looking 20, 28th and 29th. Yeah. 28th and 29th. You are going to be there. The, the man's going to be there on the 28th. I'm going to be there on the 28th. And then last thing, since I love Montana, over your left shoulder is a go cats. We always have to straighten people out. The University of Montana is not the ag school. And those are the Grizzlies. Am I right? We don't talk about that school. Yes. And then the ag school, the good land grant school where we learn about important stuff, that's Montana State. Unfortunately, it's in Yuppieville, Bozo Angeles. But yeah. those are the Bobcats, right? Correct. Got it. So we are actually a family. The Limblooms are a family divided. My wife and I graduated from MSU Bozeman. I have a daughter who's kind of higher up on that level now. She's she graduated from MSU Bozeman. Son graduated and daughter-in-law graduated from um, the Grizzlies. Yeah, we're still, we're back to talking to them now. So we're okay. Got it. That's Lance Lindblom with, uh, with my uh, Montana state alumni and the elite agronomist with 406 agronomy, Justin Miller, fifth generation farmer, rancher, Guilford, Montana, go to Miller Simmental's. If you want to hunt him down for anything, you'll have to say, can you find him? He's not part of the cattle operation, but go find this guy. His name's Justin. He'll answer your questions. I'm Damian Mason. Thanks for being here guys. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Until next time, it's the Business of Agriculture. Hey, thanks for being here. This episode of the Business of Agriculture was brought to you by Pattern Ag. You've heard me talk about Pattern Ag because I think it's a pretty cool concept. New technology that allows you to predict the problems you're going to have and therefore treat them before those problems cost you money. What kind of problems am I talking about? Pests and disease. Things like cordon rootworm, uh, sudden death syndrome, cyst nematode, and a whole bunch of other bad things that happen out there in the field that can cost you money. Guess what? Pattern Ag will let you find out ahead of time if the disease or the pest pressure is there and therefore you're treating it before it costs you any money. What a great concept. Go to pattern.ag, that's www.pattern.ag to learn more about their product, their technology, how it can make you money, save you yield, and all also, where you can find a rep that can come out there and do the work for you. Pattern.ag. <laughs>